knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show. The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. It's 10.06 on this Friday morning. As you know, one of the priorities for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his Liberal government is to conduct what has been called for for quite some time. That is an inquiry into Canada's missing and murdered Indigenous women. In fact, over the last couple of days, right here in Edmonton, a pre-inquiry with Canada's Minister for Indigenous and Northern Affairs, Carolyn Bennett, Danielle Boudreau was there. You've likely heard her name before. She's the founder of the Memorial March of Edmonton, which has gone since 2006 every Valentine's Day, every February 14th. Danielle Boudreau joining me in studio this morning. It's good to see you. You too, uh, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Danielle, I want to give people an idea of your background, of your perspective, because I think it will set the tone for our conversation. You come at this issue from a painful position, admittedly, one that is deeply personal for you. Can you set the scene for us? Tell us about your story for those that are unfamiliar with you, Danielle Boudreau. Absolutely. Um, back in 2006, actually prior to the um, first walk in 2004, um, I was living here in Edmonton and a couple of women had been found out in the fields. Rachel Quinney was one of them. Ellie Mae Meyer was another who um, I used to actually party with. We were good friends. And then um, also Nina Cordepat was found and she's actually my brother's first cousin. And so when this issue started coming around and in, in, in the news, it's like crackhead dead, addict, hooker, you know, alcoholic, drug addict, whatever, all these different labels. I, I really had a hard time with it. And, it. and it was because, you know, I had lived those lifestyles. I had been a crack addict. I had been involved with sexual exploitation. I had been exploited as a youth. I had, you know, lived this lifestyle in my past, but I hadn't, I wasn't living it at that time. But it was almost like something compelled me to have to say something to, to the public and to take notice of that the, these women were actually people. I didn't know them as prostitutes. I didn't know them as addicts. I knew them as human beings. I knew them as friends, as sisters as daughters and as mothers and the worst part of it was was I kept feeling like just because I had an addiction and just because I was feeding that that need to want to belong and acceptance and all those other trying to like hide my guilt and shame and and I turned it to drugs and alcohol does that mean I deserve to die and I actually sat with a reporter from the sun one time and we went driving around looking at women and showing him the different spots that they stand and whatnot and I myself was never out on the street however it wouldn't have mattered if I was smoking crack in a castle or in an alley. I was still doing it. And I said to him, what would happen if tomorrow you, you heard I was murdered? What do you think the headlines would be? And he said, local activists for missing and murdered women found murdered. So what if you found out that I was actually a drug addict and, uh, you know, like working in the sex trade? Would that change? And he said, yeah, it would. Why? I'm just a human being. And that's when I started to stand out and give a voice and stand up for the women because there wasn't a lot of that. A lot of people had a lot of shame around it that that was their daughter or, you know, they didn't want their daughter's name to be um, connected to that stigma, especially the non-Aboriginal um, women who were found and ones that were murdered by their husbands or, you know, the ones that we wanted to memorialize because the walk isn't about what they did for a living. It's not about Indigenous women. It's about all women because long before 
before I knew I was native and Métis, I knew I was a girl. And that's the most important part of it. You and I first met at the inaugural Memorial March of Edmonton. I was covering it as a reporter at that time. That was February 14th, 2006. You and, as far as I remember, a couple of hundred others, I think it was. Essentially a candlelight vigil walking down 97th Street. I'll never forget it. Two weeks after the inaugural walk, your family was rocked. Yes, um, February 26th, it was a Sunday morning and my phone was ringing. Um, I uh, openly admitted to people I was a drug addict. Um, I still suffer from addiction. I'm, I don't think I'll ever stop suffering from it. It's just something you got to keep in check. But, you know, I had a long night of using crack cocaine. First night I did the walk, I came home and got high, you know. I did what I had to do to survive and live life, right? But that morning we got a phone call that my younger sister had been stabbed to death in her home just off a of White Ave. And it changed my whole life. I just... I had an excuse to fall down. I had an excuse to quit working. I had an excuse for so much. But in, in the end, it was all about me, right? And it was all about me and just trying to put that anger and that hurt somewhere positive. And it took a bit, but I got there. I, I'm trying, I try to paint pictures on radio. And right now, there are two chairs in this radio studio. This is quite a powerful experience for me. You're sitting in one chair, four feet away from me, looking me in the eye. And in the other chair, you've placed a poster. It reads, rest in peace. There are hearts all over. It looks like a Valentine's Day poster, except for it's in memoriam. And it's your sister, this photo of her, an 8 by 10 looking back at me from the other chair. Juanita Cardinal. Tell me about your sister. Uh, well, um... She was really crazy. We used to go out together and people would be like, oh my God, it's Jan Arden and Lucy Liu. Because <laughs> everyone used to think I look like her. I kind of do, but you know. <laughs> and she was just fun. She was like a lot of fun. She really spent a lot of time with her daughter, taking her daughter. They would walk everywhere, like walk everywhere, swimming, um, visiting around all different kinds of parks, water parks, you name it. And she was very devoted to her daughter. Um, it's unfortunate, the circumstances around her death, the person who killed my sister is still out there. She will never be charged for murder. Um, she was charged, well, she wasn't even charged. She was actually let go due to self-defense. And it was really tough for our family. Um, it was like, we couldn't understand how a woman of that size could kill another woman that size, and it's self-defense. You know, um, but a year later after the murder of my sister, I actually, I called the homicide detectives and I'm like, I don't understand, like our family's dying here. We need to know what happened. Like, why isn't she like being charged? And they said, you don't even know what happened? Well, no, nobody told us anything. Nobody's called us and said like, oh, this is what happened and this is why she's not being charged. And the moment they told us this, like told me the circumstances, it was almost like my body was let free. Like, it was like if you've ever as a child put um, something over your head and pulled it off, like a, a nylon or whatever, grapes bag or whatever. <laughs> it was like that. It was almost like I could breathe again. And I had this feeling of forgiveness in my heart. And I thought, how many times have I been so angry that I could just like kill somebody? Like, I'm so mad. And on top of being high and drunk, you know, I, I understood. It didn't mean that I liked what happened and it didn't mean that I would be best friends with this person, but I had that forgiveness. And that's all that mattered to me because I was free from that anger and holding that, that stuff in. Uh, 
listeners are commenting right now on the text line. I'll read one message from Trevor who says, wow, very well-spoken and passionate, intelligent woman. She should be listened to. I've come to know you as someone who doesn't pull many punches. You wear your heart on your sleeve and you say what you think. So I wasn't surprised to see you take a stand on this upcoming inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women. But I will admit I was surprised as regard with regards to what your message is. Why do you think a federally commissioned inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women is a waste of time? I don't feel that the government can um, offer closure to 2,500 plus families of missing and murdered women. How can they do that? There's not even 2,500 members in our government, you know, to be able to sit there and listen to the stories, to have empathy for these families, and to say, what can we do to help you? Because you know what? There's no money in this world. I don't care how much money you have that's going to bring our our family members back. How many graves are out there that are unmarked because families can't afford headstones like my sister? She still doesn't have a marker because we can't afford it, you know? And it's like... Put that money where it's best, it could be best utilized, and that's with our youth. Let's start educating and getting a curriculum around, you know, we can educate on safe sex, we can educate on drinking and driving, texting and driving. Why aren't we educating about not buying sex, not selling sex, not, like, respecting each other? We need to learn how to respect each other. And because our youth is our future, I really, truly believe that we could eradicate like with less violence against each other if we start to instill those morals and those beliefs of respecting each other and respecting life as a whole. Okay, so what if an inquiry properly conducted would lead us to some informed conclusions like educational, you know, I mean, curriculum uh, initiatives and and perhaps some social initiatives and and maybe some messaging that would be effective. Could you support that? I mean, if you're going to introduce training for our young people if you're going to teach our young people how to love and respect each other and most importantly probably love and respect themselves we've got to do it from a foundation of knowledge do we have enough knowledge right now about what's behind these murders what's behind these disappearances no no we don't because um they're not listening to the experiential they're not listening to me why would they listen to me when i don't have an education under the university you know um I have a grade nine education. I've upgraded myself. I've learned how to speak just by listening to radio shows and (laughs) TV shows and just like watching what I've been doing and being able to um, express myself in a healthy manner. You know, I don't come across as oh, poor me. And I don't, I try not to go to a place of, you know, um, justification for anybody's sake. You know, it's, it's about taking responsibility for myself taking responsibility for the the subject that I'm dealing with and being able to speak openly and honestly about it. And if they work together with experiential and the educational people, ones who have actually sucked on a crack pipe, ones who have actually put needles in their arms and have sold their body and work together with our educational, university-educated people, we would have a curriculum so strong And it wouldn't be church-based. It wouldn't be any religion-based. It wouldn't be based upon any type of spirituality. It would just be based on the common sense of mankind. A listener out of St. Paul says, wow, a real topic here that will stir some emotion and no doubt some ugly truths. You appeared at this pre-inquiry here in Edmonton over the last couple of days, and you spoke to Minister Carolyn Bennett. What was your message to the minister? Um, My message was like I said, like I've been saying here, is that I don't feel that the inquiry is going to um, 
really fulfill our need as families um, to offer that closure and that acknowledgement because you know who's going to take priority in this in this case like are we going to be taking priority over the ones like um the guy in vancouver and i hate saying their names Mm -hmm. but the the guy in vancouver let's call him the pig farmer yes we'll say that and you know what like does he get did, did those people get justice again do they get to bring that story up and they should but what about the small people i was talking with my uh, my son's grandma this morning and what about virginia lachance who's that nobody knows 1967 missing a week found murdered in Tabor, and that's you know that's family and and it's not being recognized what about those names and what about the non-indigenous families what about the non-indigenous families that are losing their loved ones and how are they going to be acknowledged yes uh, um, indigenous women do suffer quite a lot of more indigenous men we all do um, even being Métis I've been through so much but we also have to start to think about the other people it's not only indigenous women and men who are missing there's also black white Asian you name it Sangeeta Khanna she was East Indian from Mill Woods still missing a listener here says a very smart and brave young woman on your show right now Ryan however you can't blame the government for everything. There must be some accountability within these communities themselves. And I just said that. I, I'm not making excuses, nor am I you know, justifying what's going on. We do need to take responsibility for ourselves. We do need to take a look at our communities and take a look at you know, what's happening in, in our home fires. But you know what? We're not going to be able to do that if we are focusing on everyone else's stuff that's outside of Canada. We need to start worrying about our home fires. We keep those burning first, and then we go and help the other ones. Just so I'm clear on what you're saying, are you suggesting that you'd like to see Canada dial back foreign policy initiatives and spending outside of Canadian borders to dedicate more resources to our First Nations communities? I think that it shouldn't be just for First Nation. I think it should be for poverty-level people because First Nations has their issues. But you know what? Anybody who is living amongst that same um, financial uh, line, I guess, Mm -hmm they're suffering the same things you can put somebody into an area where everybody's poor and everybody's struggling it's gonna you're never gonna get out of that you're never gonna get out of that Dougie says the knowledge of why First Nations women are missing and murdered and why the rates are higher is already here lack of education lack of employment lack of housing lack of opportunity among others we need to get to work on those issues let's use the money for an inquiry on those issues on those issues well you know what those issues aren't going to go away they're not going to go away until you know the residential school I'm a ripple effect of residential school I didn't go to residential school neither did my mom but in the community those people were coming back from the residential schools you tear away a three-year-old child four-year-old child from their parents they don't know what affection is they get groomed they get love they get groomed into by love to be sexually abused that's what their affection that's in their mind that's where sexual like that's where that affection comes from so you know what it, it's it's like passed down passed down yes it's wrong but you know what if you really take a look at women and why are we out on the streets why are aboriginal out on the street why are non-aboriginal women out on the street sexual abuse if you've been given if you've been if sexual abuse It's such a tough topic because everybody is different. But just from the experience that I've had and the experience that I've heard, if somebody's been taking something from you all your life 
and you've been giving it away and you can finally put a charge on that, it's almost a sense of empowerment because finally you can put a value on something that's been taken all your life. A listener here says, I've worked with marginalized populations for more than two decades. Your guest, Danielle Boudreaux, sends a powerful message. People are not their labels. They are people who did not have the same opportunities as others. Remember the statement, I knew them as people. Another listener wonders how you got off the street. How did you help yourself? Let's get to that after this quick break. When we return with Danielle Boudreaux, I'd like to point something out. You never know what happens when you start to converse with Chad Nation and an artist by the name of Stephen Yetaw, who runs a business, you can check it out at saystone.ca, says he would like to donate a grave marker to your family to honor your sister. Stephen, you can imagine what Danielle's response is. We'll be right back. This is The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chad. Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Danielle Boudreaux, our guest in studio. I, I, I knew that Stevens offered to provide you and your family with a memorial marker uh, for your sister, Juanita Cardinal, would, would move you. But it's, it's essentially, uh, you've been emotional through the break. How come? I mean, I mean, it sounds like an obvious question, but why does Stevens' offer mean so much to you and your family? Well, you know, like for 10 years, it's going to be 10 years this year, and you know, once again, she goes unmarked and unheard of and forgotten about as far as media goes and as far as, you know, one of the missing and murdered women. And that's that's the story for so many women out there. You know, there's so many women who have, you know, have been taken from us and, and we've forgotten. And, you know, their families are still at home waiting. They're waiting for, you know, some kind of acknowledgement or, you know, like it's going to be okay. And that's why I'm doing the things that I do is, is to be able to give them that chance to have to go into this walk because we it's not only a walk at the end of the walk we we meet together we sit down and we have bannock and stew together and then we get up and speak about our family members we talk about the ones that are still missing we ask for justice and you know one one particular time really really stands out and it was a gentleman who stood up in front of everybody and he took that mic and he broke down in tears and he said i just want to say sorry to all of you women for the abuse that i've done to women wow and that is so humbling because that's what we're trying to reach. It's trying to reach those that, you know, may have abused a woman who may have been abusing themselves and to, to say that you matter. You sent me a list of questions. I mean, when you first reached out to us here and, and you said, I fear that this inquiry will be pointless, that it'll be a waste of time and money because they won't be asking the right questions. And we asked you, well, what questions should they ask? And here they are. I mean, these are the questions you want asked. Why does he buy sex? Why does he abuse women? Why is he raping? Why does he feel buying flesh is okay? Absolutely. I mean, we're always focused on what brought those women out there. What about their backgrounds? Um, how come, like, don't blame the government? Like, the one gentleman here had asked me, or I'm not sure if it was a man or a woman, but here we are to to look back, and we are supposed to take responsibility for my for our actions. And I do take responsibility. I take full responsibility for those things that I that I've done in my past. But what about the men out there who have purchased? women what about the men out there who feel they're doing those women a favor by purchasing them and giving them money i mean and then and still on top of that these women give a price and they're still trying to undercut it so you know what what about them what has caused them to have so much pain that they have to do this to other women and other people 
Listener out of Drayton Valley says, I really respect your viewpoint, Danielle. Well said. We need more people like you speaking out on behalf of First Nations communities and their issues. No growth comes from those who identify themselves as victims. Is there some intuition there? Is there some truth there? Do you have to get past the victim label? You do. And and that was that was one of the hardest things for me because there's a lot of people out there who are still allowing themselves to be victimized and victims and until you know people don't want to hear that it's just like a little boy or a little girl when they're like you know but mom but mom and you don't want to hear it because you know that they're they've done something wrong but they they're justifying it and they're you know blaming and they're not saying yes i did do that however this is what i'm doing to change it and and we need to start to take responsibility for that part and taking responsibility for my part in in society I've still got a long list of questions. Yeah. So do our listeners. Can we keep you here past the headlines? Sure. More with Danielle Boudreau, a longtime activist uh, for marginalized women, the organizer of the Memorial March of Edmonton, which will go again this Sunday, February 14th. We'll bring you details on that first. Here's the news. Danielle Boudreau, our guest in studio, organizer of the Memorial March of Edmonton, which will go again. This is your... This is your 10th, 11th year, February 14th, this Sunday. We'll get details on that in just a moment. Uh, while you're sitting here, I, I want to read some listener feedback, if I could, as submitted to our text line. A listener here out of Edmonton says, taking responsibility. We know from decades of research that Danielle's life is the natural outcome of the circumstances of her life. When do we as a society take responsibility for turning our backs on people? Well, I guess that's up to the society to do so. I mean, I don't ever say white people did this or black people did this or anybody did this. You know, I'm a product of what I say is the ripple effects of residential school. Um, I come from a single parent family and, you know, my mom was a very strong woman. She was sober. We had spirituality. We had, you know, she was in recovery. She always did the best that she could for us, but she, she wasn't able to be there 24-7, and the community was sick. So you know what? I can't expect everybody to say sorry for me, to me, or to anybody. But what I can see, and what to me is taking responsibility, is those who have hurt others, those who have put violence on other people, changing their ways and saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. I've never heard somebody phrase it like you just did. The community was sick. Yes. What do you mean by that? Well, I was a little girl, you know, I'm I'm writing my book. It's called Pretty Little White Girl, and that's what they used to say. Oh, you're such a pretty little white girl, but I was a mouthy pretty little white girl. So I'd be like, yeah, screw off, you know. <laughs> but really, the people were sick. They were coming back from residential school. They were just getting back onto the reserves. They were just starting to get integrated. My cousins, who were the same age as me, were still going to residential school on Monday morning, getting picked up, gone for two weeks, come home for the weekend. So there was still a lot of... Um, dysfunction going on, you know, trying to live normally, what we thought was normal or healthy, you know, and really it wasn't. When I look back on things now, today, it, it, I don't know how people just let it go, let, let things happen that way. I just don't understand it. Is Pretty Little White Girl a reference to your Métis heritage? Yes. Another listener here by the name of Trevor says, I applaud Danielle and the strength that she's displaying. I grew up in a good family that adopted me out of an Aboriginal nightmare. I was given every opportunity to be successful, and I have been, but my early years still stay in my mind. They haunt me. I can't imagine the pain people go through that have and continue to live that life. 
Well, Trevor, you know, your story, too, is so many people's story. And, and I always encourage people when they have stories like yourself to, to be able to get to a place one day where you can share that. Because what you're saying to me and what I'm hearing Ryan reading, you know, it just says to me in my heart that, you know, your story is so many other men's stories. And this is where that responsibility comes out when a male has lived that lifestyle. And I'm not saying that you've put any violence on anybody or you've done wrong to people, but being able to say, this is where I came from. This is what happened. This is how I reacted. And this is how I'm changing. Listener says this woman may have a grade nine education, but I hear more wisdom from her than all the university educated bureaucrats who I've heard speak to this subject. Another says your guest right now is one smart, insightful, credible and courageous woman. She's uh, presenting as a Canadian indigenous person, not the other way around. I've never heard a voice and message that makes so much sense. And it's so powerful because of who is saying it. That's why we established your story, Danielle, right off the top. It's very unusual to have someone who grew up like you did, whose life experience includes your experiences, suggest that an inquiry into missing and murdered women is a waste of time. Not many people have the ability to speak so strongly and so plainly about a subject so painful. Well, and you know, like I I had to take a look at the uh, TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation. You know, that was to... um, say sorry to the Aboriginal people, to the Indigenous people. I'm still stuck on the wording. Um, Myself, I say Aboriginal. But um, really, you know, yeah, okay, we're sorry. Here's a few thousand dollars and, you know, take care. (laughs) Yeah, they took care, all right. So many people were taken advantage of. There was so much alcoholism, so much drugs. Once again, the sickness just continued, only they had money. Now they're broke. And guess what? back at day one, back at the start again. Cher says, I'm learning a lot more about this issue from this well-spoken woman than from anywhere else. I'm really enjoying this interview. That from Cher. Casey has taken the initiative to call in. Casey, uh, you've got the ear of Danielle Boudreaux. What would you like to say or ask? Like all your other textures, I would like to congratulate her. I think she's very strong and smart woman. Casey, hang on one second. I I, I hate to interrupt you. Uh, Matthew, for some reason, we can't hear the call in the other headphones. Do you know why that would be, Danielle? Maybe take a look at your volume knob there. Make sure it's turned all the way up. Uh, Casey, you want to try it again? Sorry about that. Oh, yes. I just wanted to congratulate her. I think she's, uh, as lots of your other textures have said, a much, much wiser woman than any of our parliament. She's taken responsibility, which is very odd nowadays. Um, I also wanted to say, like, the fact about there's no gravestone on her on her sister's grave. Why is that? You say you can't afford it in the last 10 years. None of your family could have got together and afforded a, a gravestone. Okay, is that a question? Like, why? It is a question, yes. Well, like, what? Sorry. Okay, Casey, I'll let her answer. Thanks for the call. Well, the one reason is because where we have her buried, um, we have to actually purchase the gravestone from that particular funeral home I believe okay because we looked into it and and you know what it's about once again being marginalized like her parents which are my step parents they're older you know they couldn't afford it and honestly we we just couldn't do it like I just lost my son too there's a lot of loss in our family and there's so much out there like we're traumatized we're doing our best to survive. We're doing our best to take care of our kids and our people in our family. And that maybe it's not an excuse. I don't know. It's just that, you know what? Life happens and it just, you never get to it. I hadn't 
touched on the story of your son yet, and oh. I didn't know if we were going to. Not that I'm ignoring him. Not that I can't see the love that you have for him on your face. Your son died freezing to death on his way home from a New Year's Eve party just a couple of years ago. Yeah, January 1st of 2014, um, my son, who was gay, was, um, I don't know if he was kicked out of the party, but he had left with two different shoes, no coat, walked two doors down, went into a shed, sat down, laid down and fell asleep and never woke up and um, nothing was really done criminally about it. There was a little bit of, oh, it was an accident, but I'd, I, I personally don't feel that way, but I mean, I can't, the outcome doesn't change. You had told me the story that someone had discovered he and his boyfriend yeah, they were kissing, kissing at the on, party, and, yeah. and, and that's when his boyfriend was asked to leave the party, or, yeah. or so go the allegations. Yeah. Is that why you have the tattoo of a feather with the pride colors on your forearm? Yeah. It's, Is that um, in honor of your son? It's in honor of my son, and it's to say flying free. I haven't got the wording done yet. It's um, in honor of him, and we actually, I did this, and then it's offered to the kids, like to his family members, his cousins, and the, his loved ones, because, you know, that was a really huge death in our family and in the community in our community alone it was packed in there he we had touched so many people i'm sitting across from someone that's lived a high-risk lifestyle their sister's been murdered their sons died and yet it seems with every challenge it seems with every heartbreaker you continue to gain strength i'm curious to know what the secret is danielle and you have an attentive audience that i'm sure would be curious to hear your take on that as well. That's where we'll go with Danielle Boudreaux right after this break. You're listening to The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Danielle Boudreaux, our guest this hour, we were just speaking of, of your son, uh, Sean, who passed away just a short time ago. And in the break, you were telling me uh, through just his 21 years, uh, you heard after the fact, after his passing, that he had had a significant impact on those around him. Yeah, um, a lot of people came forward, a lot of straight males came forward and, and said like, Sean taught me about acceptance and accepting people for who they are because it wasn't about him being gay. They'd known him since he was a little boy and you know, they didn't expect he would grow up to be gay. I knew he was gay when he was two, you know, even probably earlier than that. But he was like such an icon for those people because the one male said, if it wasn't for Sean, I wouldn't have been able to accept my son when he came out. And wow. that is huge. That's so huge. Real Cree warrior, who's a regular listener to this show, says it does take guts to tell your story, and I appreciate your strength. Me personally, though, I believe an inquiry is necessary to educate all Canadians and call attention mm -hmm. to missing and murdered Indigenous women to bring about positive change and access to healing for the thousands upon thousands who would not normally have access to that. It will also shed light on the racism that Indigenous people face in this country in all levels and systems, judicial, health, education, social, etc. Well, and you know what, I think this person that's, that wrote this is onto something, but I have never heard anybody say that, that this may educate, because we've been out here educating for over 15 years. We've been out here at a grassroots level at a higher even at a higher level and we've been educating and we still hear the same thing well you know maybe they should get off the streets or maybe they should stop doing drugs and maybe they should be doing this and maybe they should be doing that well you know what you can take a woman off the street you can take them to treatment get them off the drugs get them off the alcohol when they come out they're broke then then where do they go oh well maybe if i just do one more get that money get some rent money get some food money guilt and shame what mm. happens when you have guilt and shame you're right back there Right back with the drugs and alcohol. 
A listener here is, is curious to know how you feel uh, about the role of chief and band council and what role they may play into this issue. The listener says, for example, the migration of youth to city centers and the failings of reserve management to their own people. Well, I'm not treaty, but I have grown up on the reserve. And, you know, um, I have friends who are in council. I have family who are in council that are treaty. And you know what? The band and the council, the chief and council, they need to take responsibility for the people. But they also have to understand, too, the people need to take responsibility for themselves as well. You know, there's the educational system that's there. um, And it's not... For myself, when I think about the band and the chief, and you know, I, I always go to Alkali Lake. The, they were 100% sober, and it was because each other, each band person helped each other. They had that knocking on the door system of, "Do you need something? Can I help you? Do you want to go to a meeting? Do you need to talk?" And they they worked together as a community. And there's no community left. Like now, it's so much lateral violence on the reserves, and there's so much hatred and gossip and tearing tearing people down. You know, and you can't get above that. And until we start to heal within the community and start to heal as a, as a nation, and then we can start to work with the, the chief and council, and they can work with with us and with our their people. It is caustic when we judge others on fleeting glimpses of their lives. Do you think even to this point, Canadians, I mean, it's, I almost feel like it's a rhetorical question. Do, do the rest of us not quite understand Canada's First Nations communities? Um, I, I do. I think that there is not that. You're right. Okay. There isn't the understanding. No, there isn't. Because the, what I've always, what I'm always reading is this. Well, quit blaming the white people. Quit blaming the Europeans. And I hear it. If when the Europeans came here, you know, and it's like fighting against each other. Like who's right here? But you know what? It's the kids that are learning this. What are we teaching our children by saying those things? We're not teaching them to be looking into past, like looking past, um, that whole usual um, stereotype about the Europeans came here and ruined our lives. At some point, we all have to live together. Even if it was back in the 1800s and we were still in our loincloths and on the reserves and in our teepees, the white people still would have came and they would have had to learn our way of living if it was the other way around, right? And it would have been the same thing. It would be the Europeans saying, well, the Indians made us do this, you know. <laughs> it's just like they always have to find a blame somewhere. There's always got to be a reason why. It's hmm. just finding the right reason. I want to get this last break out of the way because my next question, I think we're going to need to take some time to answer it. Now, it makes sense that men would be a significant part of the focus of any inquiry into missing and murdered women. It's a general statement, but I believe I can make it. There are two communities of men within that fold, those that are First Nations, those that aren't. I'd like to get your thoughts on that focus when we return with Danielle Boudreaux right after this. This is The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Steve's listening in from Slave Lake to our interview with Danielle Boudreaux here in studio. Says people find ways to mask the problems they encounter, and over time, they think they can forget about the situations they've been through. However, it all comes forth in the end. What this woman is doing is a starting point to healing oneself. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Another, this is DC in the park, says, well said, Danielle, the band community needs to next election, bring transparency and proper governance to her community. She can make a difference. You're shaking your head. How come? I'm not treaty. That doesn't <laughs> mean you well, can't run. Yeah, and you're right. But you know what? One of my goals was actually to be the first Aboriginal woman to run for city council back in 2000 and 
I think it was 2008, or no, 2007 was one of my goals because I felt that someone like myself should be out there and be honest. You know, um, I hate to bring up Rob Ford, but, you know, I, I kind of uh, thought to myself, here's a man who openly admits he's an addict and he has to be transparent. There's no choice. He has no choice because he's already been outed and people were giving him grief, but yet he was being real. He was a real human being who had addictions. I mean, I don't agree with what he was doing, but, you know, he was real. He had to be transparent. People value reality. People value people who keep it real. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you're right, I mean, it was a political phenomenon. And, and it wasn't necessarily Rob Ford's choice. And I don't want to start talking about yeah. Rob. You and I have a lot of ground to cover here. Yeah. But but once he started owning it, there were there was a surprising number of people that said, hey, as long as he keeps my taxes lower, control spending yeah. at City Hall, I don't even care. Absolutely. And you know what? I kind of, I felt sorry for the guy because the guy's using like paraphernalia and people are saying he's doing this well if you really look at it no he isn't he's doing this you know and it's just like whoa <laughs> sure. yeah uh charles says first nations are obviously no less human beings than any other human being on this planet they deserve the same rights as the rest of us we as a people need an inquiry no we demand an inquiry i myself have had the chance to hear firsthand the story of one of the missing women i've been advocating for this inquiry you will soon hear from me how can i help Charles asks, what would you tell someone like Charles who says, okay, you know what? This hour of radio has has yeah. knocked my socks off a little bit. Where do I go from here? Charles, you just have to, you're, you're, you're already here. You know, you're saying I want to help. And that's huge because I don't hear that from men too often. And that in itself is saying, you want to help? You want to be a part of the, 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 the positive of this? Come out to the walk on Friday, or on Sunday, on Valentine's Day. Come out and speak. Come out and stand there and say what you need to say. Because I, I actually open the floor up after the walk for people to come and speak. They don't have to sign up and they don't get paid or anything. But, you know, they, can, they have that chance to be able to say, say a few words. I'm going to have you stick around here and read some of the comments on the text line because I don't have time to read them. But but this is this is uh, quite unusual. The the depth that some people are are getting into the 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 emotion the sharing that's occurring right now on our text line, Danielle, because of your words. And I'd like you to read these so you can know if you've just sent us a message. Danielle will see it. But before we run out of time, your 11th annual. Memorial March of Edmonton goes this Sunday, February 14th, at the Sacred Heart Church, which is on 96th Street, 108th Avenue. That's where where it starts, yes. right? 5 o'clock p.m.? Yeah, it starts at 5, and I always say 5 because um, I still run on Indian time, which is... We'll be there for, like, it starts at 6, really. But, um, yeah, Indian time is, like... You know you can say that, but yeah. I can't. So, so what, the walk goes at about 6 o'clock? Yeah, we start the walk. We'll start the prayer, and then we'll go walking towards um, the police station, the city hall, around city hall, and back. And this is for anybody that, that wants to show support or, or send a message? Anybody that wants to show support or send a message or come to memorialize somebody that you've lost to violence. And I, I encourage people to wear red or purple, just, you know, red for the love of the women, and purple is a color of royalty and we hold these women in high regard. You're running into a couple of hurdles with this walk, aren't you? Oh, yes. Every year for the last 11 years, the city has given me a little bit of grief about paying for the police and um, also not disturbing the other events that are going on, which is the Family Day event. I'm wondering when Edmonton's going to recognize this as an annual event. It's the Memorial March of Edmonton, not the Memorial March of Danielle. And we are the second city that started this in Canada. We have 16 cities across Canada that are doing it on February 14th. We're the only city that gets the grief. Why 
is it so important to you that people have tuned in this hour? Where do we go from here? We, we, we often want to end with a, a call to action. So, so why did you spend the last hour with us? What is your call to action as we wrap this interview? My call to action is just to be proactive out there and to give a little bit of understanding. Like everybody's always asking, what do you need? What do you need? Well, you know what? Everybody's needs are different. You see that person out there, you see that person struggling. Ask them, what do you need? Maybe they just need a hug. You just don't know. You've worn a t-shirt through this interview that reads honoring our sisters and you've done exactly that. Missing and not forgotten. So says that shirt worn by Danielle Boudreau, our guest this hour. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Ryan. The headlines are coming up.